Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to SFP Now. Hello, and I'd like to welcome Ada Hoffman to the uh, show. Ada um, is, um, is a renowned uh, science fiction and short story and poetry writer. Um, she's had uh, quite a bit of success in recent years with a um, with book series which started in 2019, I believe, with a book called The Outside. And the sequel to The Outside um, has just recently released, um, um, just last month, I believe. It's called The Fallen. So, Ada, welcome to the show. Hello. It's great to be here. Oh, it's great to have you. I've been been kind of looking forward to this in, in a sense because Dominic, uh, my, my good friend who interviewed you for the website last year, um, has been raving about, about your books and, um, you know, how with it you are. So I've been looking forward to this. Yes, well, it's great. Okay, well, uh, the first question I'm going to ask, um, this is sort of like basically the, uh, the one that we always ask to break the ice, is, is how did you get into writing? Uh, is it something you've always done, or, or did you just suddenly wake up one morning and think, I'm going to write a novel? Well, writing in some form is something I have done my whole life since I was five years old and I figured out how to put letters together on a page or on a computer screen. I was like, I want to write little stories with this. And so I did. So it was always, it wasn't always a central part of my life, but it was always something that I did for fun and really enjoyed. And I think it was about, um, during my college undergrad, so early 20s, when I really looked at what I was writing, which was often, you know, a lot of it wasn't publishable. A lot of it was either fan fiction of some sort or it's just noodling around and not finishing the story. But I remember there was a particular little story that I wrote for myself, which has never been published because it wasn't really quite <laughs> at that level. But um, I remember sitting down after I finished that story and being like, I really need to get serious about this. I, this is, this is a need that I have. Um, <laughs> and so I looked up how to start doing that with short stories and I was off to the races and I never looked back. That, that's cool. I mean, you know, I've been looking for, I've been looking into song, like trying to start writing short stories myself. Because most uh-huh. of the writing I've done um, is interviews and stuff like that. But I studied theatre uh, back in back in the 90s and I did write a play <laughs> while, while, while I was doing that so I'm kind of wanting to get back into prose and, and stuff like that at some point um, so well yes if you want to get back into it you should get back into it I'll, I'll let you know if I, if I do I mean it's sort of like <laughs> I'd I, I need somebody to sort of like uh, critique what, what I'm doing and sort of like uh, help put me write because I'm, I'm dyslexic so I'm a bit of a contradiction I'm a dyslexic writer <laughs> 
Yes, well, there's lots of um, there's there's lots of places online. Um, if you can't find people in person, there are places like the Critique Circle or the online writers workshop. I used to be on websites like that, and it's wonderful because you can write a short story and put it out there, and a whole bunch of people you don't even know will come in and start giving you feedback on on how to improve the story and what they liked about it because it's important to have feedback in, in both directions. No, that's cool. Um, you know. You know, it's, it's just sort of like finding stuff like that. Um, if you don't know where it's at, you don't know where it's at, don't you, sort of thing. So you really Yeah, have you have to kind of figure out where it is. Mm-hmm. Um, as a writer of stories, uh, what other writers and books, movies and TV show, shows um, have, 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 have best appealed to you or, you know, sort of like inspired you? Well, if we're, if we're, if we're talking about influences, I mean, that, that is a thing that has evolved over the course of my life the the things I liked when I was five years old or even when I was um, a college undergrad just starting to get into this seriously aren't necessarily the same writers that um, I draw the most inspiration from today but um, one early influence that I still think quite highly of is Lois Mismaster Bujold um, so the, the author of the, the Barrier series and, and several other um, science fiction series, I find myself, um, the, the, the older I get, the more I find myself drawn specifically to science fiction and fantasy by women or by trans people. Something about that just speaks to me more than the alternative. Um, so authors like Catherine Valente and Anne Leckie and, and Kate Jemison. And finally, since I have this project that I've been doing, which I'm sure um, we might get to discussing more later, but um, I have a project that I've been doing that involves specifically reading a lot of autistic authors' work. So I found a lot of um, autistic authors through this project who I really enjoy. Um, People such as R.B. Lemberg is one, the author of the Bergberg series, Um, Kaya Sonderby, River Solomon. uh, These authors who are non-neurotypical themselves, I'm also on the autism spectrum myself, which is how I got interested in this, and who just really, I feel like those authors in particular really expand my mind in terms of understanding what can be done. Uh. That's, that's awesome. Um, yeah, I, I'm on the I'm on the autism spectrum too. So <laughs> you know, we, we I think we I think we kind of attract each other. Yes. People that um, the the people. What I find is even if I don't know someone is autistic, the people I click with, I'll find out they're autistic later. I'm like, oh, that makes sense. We clicked because our brains work similarly. That logical. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, my my niece uh, always laughs at my logical humour because uh, oh, yeah. I, I'll often I'll often spot something that nobody else will. <laughs> yeah, and, and make fun of it. Um, you've written lots of short stories, but have recently published your second novel, The Fallen, uh, which is a second adventure for your artistic scientist hero. Is it Yasira? Yasira, yes. Yasira from from the outside. Uh, Given that many in our in, in our audience may not have may not have read either the outside or the fallen, how would you describe the books to them? All right, so the outside series, as I'm as I'm calling this series, it is a space opera with cosmic horror elements. So um, the premise of the books is that it's it's several hundred years in the future and. 
humanity is kind of ruled by this set of artificially intelligent gods. So it's these supercomputers that have become sentient and just set them up as deities. And now people worship them and they control everything. And so Yasira, our protagonist, is a scientist who lives in this world. Um, and due to something going very wrong at her job, uh, she finds herself um, attracting the attention of these gods and kind of caught in the middle between them and another force called outside, which is very much not the gods, which is very much this kind of big, unknowable cosmic horror thing. Um, <laughs> and she gets swept up into the conflict between those two. Wow, that sounds pretty. Um, sounds like a pretty, <clears throat> a pretty big story. Yes. Hmm. Um, yeah, I, I can't wait, wait to read it myself because I've actually got them both on my on my awesome. Kindle queued up. So you know, I I just um, I, I I'm reading. I've I've got a pile of stuff that I'm reading. That's why that's why I asked Dominic to cover the uh, review because I knew I wasn't going to get around to it. Mm-hmm. Um. In the outside, um, we've got a few questions about about the actual characters and, and the books. Uh, now, is that yes. okay? Um, in the outside, uh, Tiv, Yasira's girlfriend, is constantly described by the narrative and by Yasira herself as the good girl. Uh, when you wrote the Fallen, were you conscious that you wanted to develop Tiv into into the Seven's leader and someone who stood up for the beliefs for the, for her beliefs? Like when she argued with some of the others about whether their movement should be non-violent or not. Yeah, so so Tiv Tiv is a I really enjoy Tiv as a character, and it's it's funny you should mention the way Yasira refers to her as a good girl because I find that's something that a lot of readers of the first book actually bounced off of a bit. They're like, "What are you talking about? Like this is this kind of a demeaning way." <laughs> to talk about your girlfriend, which it kind of is. I will concede that point. I wasn't really thinking of it in that way when I was writing, but it is. And what's happening between Yasira and Tiv to some degree is, you know, because Yasira's on the autism spectrum and because she's been treated condescendingly by many people, she kind of almost doesn't trust when people are just nice Mm-hmm. and kind she's like do you actually mean that or are you doing it because you feel you're supposed to do that and um it's a reasonable thing for Yasira to have qualms about giving Yasira's life experiences but it's also not quite fair to Tiv um to be constantly described that way and so in The Fallen um we have Tiv plays a much larger role in The Fallen than she did in The Outside and she gets time as a point of view character. She's basically a co-protagonist in the second book. And so I wanted um, to spend a little bit of time breaking that down a bit more and showing how Tiv acts according to her own values, which are very strongly held values. They are not about doing what she's supposed to do. She actually cares about stuff that much. Um, I show that from Tiv's point of view. And I have Tiv... The Fallen is really kind of the book where Tiv comes into her own and decides what she believes in um, because of course she and Yasira started out believing um, in these artificially intelligent gods that are in charge of humanity in this series. And of course, everything's gone wrong with that in the first book and they've ended up 
on the run and being heretics, etc. And Yasira and Tiv both kind of come to terms with that new reality in different ways. And both of them kind of struggle with um, what they believe now and how they can continue to be ethical people um, who care about other people without this larger structure of the religion around them. Um, and they both, they both approach that in slightly different ways, I think. I'm not sure if that answered your question. It's kind of just me rambling about Tiv. Actually, I think it more than answers, answers the question. Um, I, also, right. I also loved what you said about um, Ysira having been treated badly. Um, that that she finds it hard to trust when people are actually being nice to her, because okay. I think some, I think um, that is something that many people on the autism spectrum, as well as people that that, that are ADHD or no or neurodiverse people in general, um, find find they have a lot of trouble with. I mean, I, I myself, you know, uh, don't quite trust when people are being nice to me. Um, as easily as I as I used to. Yes, I think that's I think that's unfortunately pretty common. Um, another another character related question: Is it possible that Doctor Eviana Tamur, one one of the main antagonists, will see the error of her ways and return to the night side? Uh, her backstory in the outside portrayed her very much as someone whom society had failed. Although Yasira thinks to herself that there is no law that people like Dr. Tamur have to turn turn out this way. Yes, so Dr. Talir, um, I, I pronounce it Talir, not Talir, but that's, you know, you can pronounce it however you like because it's just letters on a page. But um, yeah, I do think of her as a sympathetic villain and as someone who is very much... In the first book, she is a villain, um, but she's reacting very much out of the ways that she's been hurt by society and how she's trying to change that society um, so it doesn't behave hurtfully in that way anymore. And by the end of the first book, I'm going to try to say this without spoilers, but by the end of the first book, she has begun to question whether some of her methods for doing this were really the best methods. Um, so we certainly haven't seen the last of Dr. Talir. She's certainly going to be continuing that arc where she's starting to question her past actions. Um, beyond that, it's also not an arc that finishes in the following because this is going to be a trilogy with three books. Um, so there's going to be more character development for Dr. Talir in the third book as well. So I think if I, if I went on too long about how that's going to end up, I would be giving spoilers and also possibly telling you something incorrect because I'm not finished writing the third book yet. I have mm -hmm. an idea how it's going to go, but sometimes it surprises me. But we definitely are going to see more of her and her, her kinds of moral struggles and her moral rethinking. So yes, I, I think a cautious yes to that question. Mm, yes, that's, she, sounds, she sounds like an intriguing character. Uh, to me, um, you know, just just oh, really by just just by reading, you know, just by reading Dom Dominic's question and 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 that, and uh, you know, it sounds to me like she's on a little bit of a redemption arc. Potentially. Um, mm -hmm. Well, potential redemption arc. <laughs> I'm not giving <laughs> stuff away. Um, the outside and the fallen are cosmic horror stories, although they are hopeful and optimistic. Uh, was this a conscious choice or did the stories evolve that way naturally? So I always knew that I wanted there to be a cosmic horror element um, to the stories. That was a very intentional part of the world building from the beginning. 
In terms of the stories being hopeful, I don't, um, when I'm writing, I don't really plan things like that. Things like, oh, what's going to be the tone of this story? I don't really plan that out in advance. That's something that I like to watch organically, how it evolves uh, within the book. So, of course, obviously, I might, I, I plan the plot points. So I might say, oh, yes, well, they, they, they mostly, the heroes are mostly victorious at the end. But in terms of whether that feels hopeful, that's almost such a subjective and a squishy thing that I don't really, if I, if I try to plan for what emotion I want the reader for, to feel, I just get confused. So I just watch the characters do their thing and I see what happens. And I'm glad to think it's hopeful because... The characters go through a lot. There are a lot of bad things and painful things and traumatic things that happen in this book. And if, if you're seeing a hopeful element in the book, then it's probably because in spite of all these awful things that have happened, the characters are able to hold on to some part of their humanity and of what they value. And they're able to make choices based on what they value and what they think is right, which have real effects on the world. Um, so that if you wanted to call that hopeful, I'd be like, yeah, that's, that's a good definition of one way of being hopeful, I suppose. But I don't really plan things like how it's going to come up emotionally. I just let it happen. Yeah, it's it's kind of like the the characters form in your head, and they they just sort of like go in whatever direction that they're going in, sort of thing. Well, to some extent, I mean, I do plan the plot points, and I I usually don't have to change those too much. But in terms of the way the characters emotionally respond, that's very organic for me. Yeah, so you basically have the beginning, the middle, and the ending sort of yes. mapped out, and and the characters, you know, it's just about uh, you know. How, how the characters get there from that point on, really. Yeah. yeah. And, and I often find I get to certain plot points and I'm like, wow, this is more upsetting for the characters than I thought it would be. Like, whoops. But, you know, it, it, it happens to them. Mm -hmm. um, um, have, you, have you ever thought of um, getting, getting the outside uh, and the form and commission to be made into graphic novels or maybe even narrative-driven video games? Can you see that happening? So those things are called, um, I think they're called subsidiary rights. There's some name for them. And those, um, my, my agent is in charge of finding out if there are opportunities to sell those things. Uh, so I'm, I'm not in charge of it. My, if you have a good agent, they will, they will, um, often, often do this for you, or there'll be a particular person even at the agency who's dedicated to looking for TV deals and other kinds of, of subsidiary rights deals. So, so far I haven't heard anything about anything like that. Um, I would be very open to it if it happened, but, um, it's very, it's a very uncertain kind of area of writing mm -hmm. either. It might happen. It probably doesn't, who even knows? Um, what I do know is that the Outside series is being translated into two languages. It's being translated into Czech and into Catalan, wow. which are wonderful. Those are definitely not the first two languages I would have thought of, but it's, it's, um, and those are just based on, again, I didn't sell those myself. The publisher actually, the publisher has the translation rights and they take it to international book fairs and they see what 
publishers in other languages would be interested in translating the book. And again, that's another thing that's out of my hands kind of as an author, but it's very cool to watch. And the other thing, of course, is that there is an audiobook. Both books are available in audiobook form from recorded books um, right now. <laughs> and that's been fun because when they make an audiobook, you have to talk to the voice actor and be like, okay, here's how you pronounce all these weird names of my characters. <laughs> and here's how this character might talk. Here's how their voice might sound. And it's very, it's stuff about your characters that you might not even have thought of until the voice actor asks you. And then you're like, oh, what a good question. Mm. And, um, and and as you said to me earlier, it's uh, it's Dr. Tanea, not Tanea. So I've yes. got that now. I've, I've remembered that now. That's actually in my head. Um, have you ever Have you ever read anything and thought, "I wish I'd written that"? Is there any you know books or stories by authors you know where you where you'd sort of like read it and thought, "Oh, I wish I'd thought of that." Oh, definitely. Um, and what, what I try to do when I have these experiences with particular authors that I feel envious of what they've written is I try to learn from it. I try to look at it and I say, well, what what about this writing makes it feel that way to me? What are they doing that I wish I could do? Is it the fact that their world building is so inventive and their imagery is so vivid? Is it that they construct a sentence especially well? Is it they, they have a particular atmosphere? What is it that I'm envying here? And then I'm like, okay, well, if it's their world building, how do I improve my world building to make it more like that? And I don't always succeed at figuring that out, but I think that's a big part of how we build our skills as writers is we figure, we, we, we set goals, you know, and, and other writers who we feel jealous of in some way, that's how we get our goals. So that can be actually a positive thing. Cool. Um, as a writer who, who who's on the autism spectrum, um, you, you, you're doing the rest of us on the spectrum of bringing service by creating believable neuro, neurodiverse characters. Uh, when you set about create, when you set about when you set about creating your Sarah, uh, how much of her character was based on your own experiences, and how much was was imagined or created based on what you know about other people that are on the autism spectrum? Because when I first created Yasira, I wasn't even sure if I wanted to make her autistic or not. That's something that kind of became clearer to me as the story progressed. Obviously, I'm not a physicist. I've never um, been in charge of power generation on an exciting new space station, which is her her situation at the beginning of the book. I've never um, been kidnapped by cyborg angels or any of the other things that happened to her. So of course there's a great deal about Ysira that's just my imagination. Um, but the reason I did decide, yes, this character really does need to be autistic, it's because I realized, and this goes back to what I was saying about how I plot out the plot points, but the way the characters react to the plot points is more organic. It surprises me more. And what I found is that consistently as Isira encounters, you know, cosmic horrors and other stressful situations, the way she was responding to these things was very relatable to me and very autistic. It was very much being taken from my own experiences with either sensory overload or with just life feeling overwhelming in some way or another. 
and and with what that does to me and what I know it does to other artistic people, but really mostly me. It was coming out of my feelings, and I realized it didn't make sense for her to have these feelings to this degree as opposed to some other way of dealing with stress. It didn't make sense unless she was autistic. So that was when I realized I really did have to go back and make it more explicit in the book that she was autistic and to just think more about the consequences um, of her being autistic in general, because she had this one kind of portrait of how she responded to things that wasn't going to make sense otherwise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, as um, the next question is sort of like, um, it's more, more sort of a general sort of thing. Um, and, you know, I'm finding it's quite interesting how um, there seems to be a lot of artistic representation in novels and, and comic book forms and and uh, quite positive rep representation of that. Um, yet in the world of TV and film, um, it's still like, um, it's, it's still dragging its heels a lot in, in that we're getting not stereotypical stuff like atypical um and and that new stuff that new film by sea music which is just awful um which i'm, I'm kind of wondering um how how much it's it's going to take for, for 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 artistic representation to be you know to get out there into the mainstream but in a more positive way with many forms of representation because if you look at the science fiction novels that are coming out today and the science fiction novels that are getting awards like the Hugo and Nebula awards today you'll find there's a lot of racial diversity there's a lot of sexual and gender diversity there's a lot of really exciting innovative things being done in the book world in terms of lifting up marginalized identities both for characters in the book and for the authors. But if you look in mainstream television and movies, it there's less of that. And really across the board, there's less of that. And I don't think that autism is in any way unique for having less of that in mainstream television and movies. Um, but I also just, because I'm more of a book person and because I'm also more of a science fiction person, you know, I'm not going to watch something like a typical because it's not science fiction or fantasy. It's just some guy's life. And I'm not as interested in that, even if it wasn't that representation. And so I kind of, I hear through the grapevine how bad these shows are and what some of the problems with them are. But it's really, it feels like it's almost not my wheelhouse in a way. So I get to be slightly insulated from that if I want to. Mm. Uh, I think I think you've done yourself a massive favour there because I I watched yeah, the first <laughs> I watched the first season I watched the first season of Atypical when it first came out and I thought oh, enough enough already <laughs> you know um, but I, I watch a lot of TV and film um, and um, as far as science fiction I'm kind of more leaning towards science fiction fantasy because my understanding of science is so is woefully rudimentary <laughs> you know mm -hmm. that that is um that 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 just doesn't really really appeal um but you 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 you're also doing a lot of work with with artistic writers and you seem to be encouraging um a lot of writers you do um on your website you do you do 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 a monthly book review is that right Oh, um, yes. Well, it's, it's not currently monthly. Unfortunately, I've fallen a bit behind <laughs> because of the pandemic, um, just making it harder to focus on reading. But yes, I do. Um, I've done this for about 10 years now. 
is I have a series on my website called Autistic Book Party. And this is a series where I review science fiction books or fantasy books um, with a connection to autism. And that could be that some of the characters are autistic. It could be that the author is autistic. It could be both. Um, I'll do all three of those options. Um, and I just, I read the books and I write what I thought about them in, especially in terms of how they portray autism, if there are autistic characters. And um, that's been a really interesting project for me. I have learned a lot from it. And especially I've learned a lot from following it over time because we really are seeing a lot more um, in terms, especially in terms of autistic authors who are autistic themselves not, um, and, and who are willing to say so publicly, which is another thing, because I think there are a lot, maybe even a majority of people <laughs> in science fiction fandom, because it's such a nerdy thing. Mm -hmm. I think there are quite a lot of people in science fiction who either don't know they're autistic yet or who kind of know but aren't ready to share it. Um, but in terms of people who they'll actually say publicly that are they're autistic and we can actually say with some confidence, oh yes, this is this particular person is an autistic author. There are so many more of those now than there were 10 years ago. It's really, it, it, it's a thing that's really been blossoming and that's been wonderful to see, even if it also increases my problems somewhat because it's like, I can't keep up with all these books anymore. Um, but it's been a great experience. It's taught me a lot about what works in terms of portraying autistic characters. And it's made me get a lot more articulate about what I don't want people to do and why. It's spurred me to do a lot more research into the autistic community and into autistic self-advocacy, autistic activism. It's really been a very educational experience. And I hope it's encouraging to, to other autistic people. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a, I think it's a really good thing that you're doing. I mean, uh, you know, because you know, we, you need somebody to to sort of like guide the way, and um, and you're you're kind of doing that um, in 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 a way, as in you 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 know by by reviewing these books, it's actually encouraging and helping people. Well, I hope so. That's very that's very um, encouraging to hear. Of course, the reviews aren't always positive reviews. Sometimes it's like, please don't do it that way. But especially when I'm reviewing um, autistic authors, I try to focus on, like, I won't be dishonest about my feelings about a book. If I don't like it, I'll say so. But in terms of choosing the books and especially choosing the short stories, when I do short story segments, I do try to focus on things that I think I will like um, when I'm reading autistic authors because autistic authors tend to have such a low profile and to have such trouble getting noticed. So if I have a limited amount of time and energy to help people get noticed, I want to spend most of that on people who are doing a really good job. I want to reward that and celebrate that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I think they're calling it. I think it's called generally it's, it's generally called paying it forward. You know, when you when you get a bit of success yourself, you kind of pay it forward and try try and encourage other people. Um, I think that's generally what you, what you're you're doing, really. You know, which is well, which is a good thing. That's a good way of looking at it. Although I'll have to tell you, when I started out, it was 2010, and I had published hardly anything, like maybe one or two short stories. I definitely had not yet seen the amount of success that I have have now. <laughs> mm. True, but you know, you you you. So you're it's still... almost being paid in both directions, which yeah. is kind of nice. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, so like it's, yeah. it's really cool. Um, what 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 artistic authors other than yourself would you would you actually recommend um, to to people? Oh well, I, I listed I listed a few uh, when we we're talking about influences, but I'll go back over them because there's 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 quite a few. And actually, what I will say right off the bat is that if you want a comprehensive list of autistic authors who I recommend, you should go to my website, adahoffman.com. There is a tab called Autistic Book Party. There is an index of everything I've ever reviewed uh, sorted by whether I recommend it or not. So you can see every, every single author whose work I have recommended. You can see them there, and it will say in the notes which of these authors actually are autistic themselves. So you can go check that out, and there's quite a few, and I'm going to forget a whole bunch when I'm just seeing that now. But I'll name a few. Arby Lemberg, um, who writes the Birdverse series. This is a wonderful, fantastically detailed and immersive um, fantasy world um, with all these different cultures in it and um, all these different magical things going on. Um, they... Um, and there's there's quite a lot of, of queer and trans content in these in these stories as well, if that's of interest to people. Um, Kaya Sandrabi, who wrote the what's it called? The Zandri Corolla series, um, which is a space opera starring an autistic woman who is employed to help kind of decode the communication of aliens when there's when there's first contact with aliens. Um, She's one of the best in the galaxy at actually helping figure out uh, what they're saying and what they mean because she has to use those skills every day to decode the way neurotypicals communicate. Yep. <laughs> and it turns out those, those skills just have cross-application to also understanding aliens. And um, Zandri is an incredibly relatable character to me. I just love her. Um <laughs> So that, that's another I would recommend. Another is River Solomon, um, who is a black science fiction author who actually, I believe, has won the Nebula Award for Best Novella um, for, for the novella called The Deep, which is about these, these kind of mermaid-like uh, creatures who are the sentence of people who were thrown off of, of slave ships, actually. So it's this very grim book, but it's this very wonderful book that talks about trauma and community and healing. Um, those are those are the three that I wrote down in my preparatory notes for awesome. this meeting. But there are a ton more. You should definitely go to my website and look at everyone because there are there are so many, and I'm so pleased to see so many wonderful autistic authors who are getting their work out there. Well, that that sounds awesome. You know, they sound like uh, you know some really interesting stories and some interesting ideas. Uh, um, Ada, I'd like to thank you for your time. It's been great speaking to you. And um, you know, before before go, would you? Is there any anything else you'd like to plug or talk about quickly? Uh, no, I think I think we pretty much uh, covered it. But thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's, it's been wonderful having you. And um, you know, hopefully we can have you back on again next year when 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 or, or in a year or two when the other book comes out. Yes, definitely, because uh, the Outside Series Book 3 is tentatively scheduled for the end of 2022, so you can look forward to the exciting conclusion to that series. Oh, great. I might get that for my birthday. Uh, oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's my, my birthday, New Year's Eve, so that's always a lot of fun. <laughs> oh, yes. It's great. It's the most peaceful day of the year because everyone else is getting drunk and they forget my birthday, so I never age. So. <laughs> 
too. Oh dear. It's brilliant. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway, thank, thanks for thanks for being being a guest on the show. It's been been great having you and um, you know, best of luck with the book. Um, it's doing well, great you, already. Thank you, okay, thank you. Bye. Hey everybody, this is Daniel Corey, writer of Image Comics Moriarty and Red City and Danger Cats Ludworth, and you are listening to SFP Now. And that was uh, Ada Hoffman, um, one of um, one of a, of a few um, artistic writers that, that, that are um, that are coming on strong, um, representing for the uh, neurodiverse community. Um, so you know, I'd like to thank Ada again for being on, and also like to thank. Uh, our good friend uh, Dominic Walsh at SciFiPulse.net for, uh, for, for you know introducing introducing us to 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 Ada's work. Um, and you know if you want to get hold of her book, um, it's out now. Um, the first one's called The Outside, and the second book is called The Fallen, and they're both available to buy um, at all our good bookshops as well as Amazon.com if you must. Um, and that's it for now. We will see you next time.